from the Alaska Airlines Studio. Presented by 2020lifestyles.com. This is The Blitz. The first look at the top stories in Seattle sports. They don't make them like good. We're not like everybody else. The rundown on everything Seattle sports on your way to work. Swing and a fly ball. Deep right center field. He did it again. And the stories everyone is talking about. This is the Blitz at Six. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Blitz at Six. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Tuesday, June 23rd. Baseball's coming back. I know. I'm not I'm not messing with you. But what will it look like? Likely a 60-game season because MLB voted unanimously yesterday to proceed with implementing their schedule after the Players Association turned down the latest proposal. So we'll talk about what that looks like and how players could be asked to report as early as July 1st. When will opening day be? All We'll cover all of that ahead. We'll also hear from Dr. Anthony Fauci. He was on the Michael K. Show yesterday. He is, of course, the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. And he had some thoughts on playing sports in the fall, especially football uh, and what challenges playing an outdoor sport presents, why he has worries for football. We'll hear from him as well, plus an incredible display at Talladega yesterday for Bubba Wallace, uh, his fellow drivers supporting him all ahead in this hour. Right now, let's get to your headlines. Dr. Anthony Fauci, director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, joined the Michael K. Show yesterday, and he had several thoughts on sports and the return of them, including, well, first of all, how does he evaluate the country as where we are right now handling the coronavirus? I'm concerned about where we are, and, and I'm concerned because I see that curve is not dramatically going down. You know, there are certainly less deaths. Than we had when New York, you know, the city of my birth got hit so badly, very painful for me to watch that from a distance. New York did a really good job of addressing it, even though they got hurt badly. They're in a pretty good situation right now. I'm concerned about what's going on in other states, the states in the Sun Belt. So it's a mixed bag. I'm pleased to see that some of the states are doing really well, looking like they're marching towards normality. But I'm quite concerned about the states that still have enough cases now to keep our numbers up. Dr. Anthony Fauci on if he's optimistic about a vaccine by the end of 2020. Would you also say that it's likely or unlikely that there is a, an effective vaccine before the end of this year? I say that it is likely that we will know the results of a vaccine, and I'm cautiously optimistic that it would be a vaccine that, the, that, degree, that, that provides some degree of efficacy and is safe. I would say by the end of the year, by the very beginning of 2021. Dr. Anthony Fauci also on the issues presented by outdoor sports. Outdoor in any respiratory disease is always safer than indoor, just for the obvious physical issues that are involved. I'm cautiously optimistic if we can get this outbreak under control in the sense of getting the infection rate so low that the risk becomes minimal. And when people get infected, you have the capability of identifying, isolating, and contact tracing, which is what we're trying to do right now with the stuff that's going on, the the, the activity that we're seeing in certain states, that we can get many of the sports back. How quickly we get them back, how they are going to come back, and there's been many versions and many iterations of that. You know, are you going to televise some or are you going to have some degree of people in the stands indoor? 
Are you going to separate them more than you would under normal circumstances? What about outdoors? What's the season? All kinds of things go into that. And it isn't the decision of the public health people. The public health people make advice. The decision are going to be for the people who run the league as well, importantly, as the players. I mean, those are the individuals whose safety we want to make sure we pay attention to, as well as the spectators, the lovers of the sports, like myself. How much does weather impact uh, the the spread of coronavirus, according to uh, Dr. Fauci? I wouldn't count on the weather. It could help a little bit. But right now, Florida is a very warm and very muggy place, as it tends to be in the summer. And yet, because people have not quite paid attention to the public health uh, recommendations, we're seeing a very disturbing surge of infections in Florida. Therefore, you shouldn't count on warm weather being a shield. So the question is, in the fall, and this is historic, back in 1918, when they had a similar situation with the infamous Spanish flu, as it was called, there was an outbreak in the spring of 1918. And then the infection tended to go under the radar screen and disappear in the summer, only to come back with a vengeance in the fall when the cold weather came. Does that mean it's inevitable that that's going to happen now? I don't accept that as an inevitability. I believe that if we are prepared and have the capability that we implement to have the system, the test, and the capability of doing identification, isolation, and contact tracing. We don't necessarily have to have an inevitability of a resurgence in the fall. We want to keep an eye out on it. We want to do everything we can to prevent it from happening. But it doesn't necessarily have to occur if we handle the inevitable increases in individual cases and we do it in a way that can suppress a real second wave or a real surge. Dr. Anthony Fauci also asked on which sport concerns him the most. Uh, it would be football. The sport that has the most contact, which in this case is football, is something you need to pay attention to and figure out how you can get players to play a season safe and in what particular circumstance. And that's really going to depend in many respects on the status of the outbreak at the time that that season is being played. So, I mean, I I have a concern about the health of everyone, and I certainly am a sports lover, and I want a concern about the health of the players. So, I mean, if the specific answer to your question, those sports in which there is the most contact and depending upon the status of the outbreak. We heard some quotes from Dr. Fauci, I believe, speaking with the L.A. Times earlier in the week, um, concerns about uh, football, about baseball, too, playing too late into the year, playing into November. Uh, He also had some thoughts on the NBA, the bubble that they are planning on playing on in Florida. And he wanted to remind everybody that it's not foolproof. It's always a concern when you have an outbreak of the magnitude that we've seen in Florida. Technically speaking, if you abide strictly by the bubble that has been proposed as the mechanism of avoiding any issues with infection, that should not make that much difference. But the only thing is, You bubble the players, but when you're in an area where there's so much infection going on, you know, the players would have some kind of interaction with outside people. Somebody has to take care of them. People need to serve them meals and things like Mm -hmm. that. 
I know that there's a good degree of safety around that because I've heard of the plans and I've even publicly said that they sound like they're really good and well thought out and have been essentially planned to be implemented with a good degree of, of care. But certainly you would rather have it in a place where there is not a lot of activity. Hopefully the florist situation can get under control pretty quickly, but it certainly is concerning what is going on in Florida right now. Now, our whole concept of normal has probably been adjusted in 2020. And Dr. Anthony Fauci, though, asked, when do you think things will get back to normal as much as uh, normal as we recognize? Well, this is a very tricky virus because it's highly efficient in its ability to transmit, more so than just about any other virus except for a few like measles, which is clearly one of the most transmissible. But it is really quite transmissible. And it also has a relatively high degree, relatively speaking, of morbidity and mortality. It is over when from a combination of a... First of all, it's not over until you nail it down and put the nail in the coffin and you do that with a combination of public health measures and a safe and effective vaccine. But even before a safe and effective vaccine, you can approach some degree of normality by good public health measures that brings down the infection to such a low level that when you get little blips, you can contain it by identification, isolation, and contact tracing, which is the reason why right now many states are successfully going back to normal, getting the economy back, getting jobs back by doing it carefully. But as I mentioned and you hinted, if you really want to nail it down, it's a combination of a safe and effective vaccine together with public health measures. Those public, uh, those public health measures, the health and safety protocols, each league trying to work through those on their own as of now. It's one of the issues on the table for Major League Baseball. And coming up next on The Blitz, we'll discuss the plan for returning to play. What happened between the players and the owners, why they decided to implement that 60-game proposal, or uh, sorry, the players rejected that 60-game proposal, and why Major League Baseball is likely to implement uh, that as well. well. We'll talk about it next on The Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to The Blitz from the Alaska Airlines Studio. Welcome back to The Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Tuesday, June 23rd. And in just about a month, it's possible we have baseball back. Why is that? Well, after feels like years, but it's been about three months of negotiation back and forth. Major League Baseball owners voted unanimously to proceed with the 2020 MLB season uh, under the terms of the March 26th agreement with the MLB Players Association, the league announcing this in a statement yesterday. And it came hours after the MLB Players Association rejected a 60-game proposal that would have included an expanded postseason and some ancillary salary bumps. Three months of negotiations, really fruitless negotiations, just to have MLB opt to use the right given to it in the agreement back in March to impose a schedule of its desired length. Uh, it did call in that agreement for good faith negotiations. Jeff Passan on the MLBPA's decision to reject the owner's proposal. Expectation was that it was going to be lopsided, but there were some players who were trying to argue among their brethren this afternoon, hey, 
maybe we should take this. Maybe the fact that we're going down the path where a grievance is the likely outcome is not what's best for us going forward, but the momentum was behind rejecting this proposal and prompting Rob Manfred in all likelihood to implement a season of his desired length. Now, that might be 54 games. That might be even 60 games. But what the players don't get and what the league doesn't get is expanded playoffs in if there is an implementation. The playoffs would be 10 teams like they were last year, as opposed to the 16 teams that the league was proposing. The 60 games will allow the league to pack in about as many as they can through September 27th. That has remained the league's self-imposed cutoff for the regular season and uh, why they're so dedicated to that stop date. Number one, there is the fear of a second wave of the coronavirus coming right around then. And you saw Anthony Fauci talking to the Los Angeles Times earlier this week and saying, I'd be worried about baseball playing in October. They should get the season over as soon as possible. It echoes the sentiment of Ali Khan, who's the epidemiologist and expert for Major League Baseball, who's been advising them for months now. Number two, though, and this is an element that's every bit as important, television networks do not want Major League Baseball games to bleed into November. They don't want to go up against the election. They don't want to go up against the NFL. They don't want to go up against college football. Already, there's going to be crossover with the NBA playoffs and specifically the NBA finals. We're going to get a real sense of of the pecking order of baseball versus the NBA. Yeah, and baseball competing for a lot of the young fans that have turned to the NBA, that generation of fans that they so desperately need to capture their attention of. Now, the deal still has plenty of hurdles to clear before spring training 2.0 can begin. A big one of them is they need the players to sign off on a health and safety protocol. A couple of months ago, we saw that plan, I think 76 pages worth of health and safety protocols that uh, included rules about social distancing, about uh, the clubhouse, about no high fives, uh, where players may sit within the dugout, actually even spilling over into the uh, to the stands. But still, you could take this at least as a huge step towards opening day happening in 2020. Uh, the uh, teams have also asked pl- uh, players to arrive at home stadiums by July 1st to prepare for the season or at least uh, that was the sentiment. But Jeff Passan of ESPN saying players haven't been notified, a lot of them yet, to relocate. The hope is that they are going to be in spring camps at their home stadiums about a week from now. But I heard from a number of players earlier today who haven't even been called by their teams at this point and told, hey, get a plane ticket, jump in a car, get ready to come to your stadium. When this all is up against the backdrop of a spike in COVID cases around baseball and around the country, especially in particular hotspots that are in major metropolitan areas where baseball games are played, it just makes the idea of a season going smoothly that much more difficult. Let's run through some quick facts of things that we know about the 2020 baseball season. Number of games, probably 60 games. Opening day around July 24th. Spring training, July 1st, that date mentioned there. Uh, MLB asking the MLBPA on Monday whether players will be able to report to training in their respective cities within seven days. So that would be July 1st to get a couple of weeks ramp up period until that opening day. Number of teams in the playoffs 
10. The salary structure, full prorated uh, for 60 games. That means players would earn around 37% of their full season salary as long as the schedule is completed. Uh, Some of the biggest challenges, health and safety concerns, both surrounding COVID-19, but then also just player injury concerns, which athletes always have on their mind. An oblique injury, for instance, that could keep a player out for four to eight weeks or longer. That's nearly the entire season in this case. So uh, guys working with some thin param- or some uh, parameters on terms of uh, their injuries. What's next now that the schedule is being implemented? Spring training 2.0. We mentioned that July 1st uh, start date. Roster sizes, taxi squads, new on-field rules for 2020 all have to come together fast as well. Uh, does the commissioner taking these steps mean there will be a 2020 MLB season? A hundred percent. We've heard that uh, statistic thrown out. Um, well, unless the players go on strike, yes, which is extremely unlikely. Can the MLBPA still file a grievance? Yes, that's one of the things, the rights they reserve uh, by rejecting the 60-game framework. The players retain their right to grieve the terms of the March agreement between the two sides. And what will the playoffs look like under this format? I mentioned the 10 teams, but after all the discussion and back and forth between these two sides and one of the biggest incentives, the biggest carrots dangled in front of owners so that players could attempt uh, to get some of their conditions met, uh, after all that discussion, we end up with the same two wildcard system that was adopted for the 2012 season. Other big on-the-field changes you might see, well, uh, Jeff Passan actually talked about how MLB players may react to to having to have this uh, player's enforced season and the fact that you might uh, ask them to do extra things. In the absence things. of a negotiated agreement, Rob Manfred's going to set a schedule. Some people think it's going to be 54 games. Other think he might actually set it for 60, um, but it's not going to have expanded playoffs and players are going to be angry. And so when it comes to wearing microphones during games, nope. When it comes to helping out and promoting the game, nope. When it comes to all these things that seemingly would make baseball a more popular or at least more enjoyable or certainly more accessible game going forward. The players are going to say no to that. Ultimately, a hurting baseball. And we'll talk later in the hour about the implications for the CBA and for years down the road for baseball. But up next, could a shortened season actually help out the Mariners? We'll hear from Aaron Goldsmith on that topic. Also, an incredible display of solidarity for Bubba Wallace uh, yesterday at Talladega. It's next in the hot list or, or next on the Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. From the Alaska Airlines studio, this is the Blitz. Welcome back to the Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Tuesday, June 23rd. We know baseball will be back in 2020 with a late July start date in mind around July 24th. So just about a month away from now, if things go to plan, a big part of that is the players still need to sign off on the health and safety protocols. 
uh, before they can implement that season schedule. But how will the season impact the Mariners in particular and maybe the development trajectory of some of their top prospects like Jared Kelnick and Julio Rodriguez? Aaron Goldsmith joined Tom, Jake, and Stacey yesterday to discuss. How much do you think for the Mariners it it is going to help this group, uh, or do you think it's going to hurt this group just only having a limited amount of games in a a season that was very important for this rebuilding process? Well, obviously, each game that the Mariners can play, the better off they are in terms of their development. You're right. This was not a season. This is obvious that the Mariners were going to compete for – a World Series in a traditional 162-game setting. But the, the benefit of this year was the development for, for so many players, both in, at the major league level and in the minors. You know, All that being said, and, and I don't think you can ignore that, I think that's a, a big factor for, for this year and, and the story for the Mariners. But I, I do think you can look at it with a positive lens compared to some other teams. I mean, imagine, imagine if we're in Los Angeles right now and we're talking about the Dodgers. And there's a chance that there is no season or that if there is a season, it's truncated and it kind of becomes this wild, wild west of, Hey, anything can happen in call it 60 games, right. Or any form of an abbreviated season, not necessarily the best team will prevail like it would more than likely in a traditional setting. I mean, you got Mookie Betts for one year, right? You got Walker Bueller, who is one of the young true studs on the mound of the game. You got Kershaw, who's just probably, you know, past the crest, but still a very viable You've got Bellinger, who just won an MVP. You've got everything lined up for this mega superpower team that may never see the field. And how horrible of a feeling that would be. Uh, For the Mariners, obviously, they are wanting to get at-bats and innings and experience and development. And I guess the, the positive to that is you can make that up in other areas, right? I mean, you can go play winter ball, and you can get your extra at-bats, your innings. Uh, I would imagine, although I, I don't know, I would hope and imagine that if things do clear up, let's say, in Arizona by the fall time, that there is not only the traditional Arizona Fall League, but maybe it's more of an extended Fall League where you can kind of have a really truncated minor league season for some players, maybe not all of them. Uh, so you can make that up is what I'm saying. And if, if you do make that up, you know, that pushes back the timeline not that much in the grand scheme of things. Whereas if you're the Dodgers, to go back to that example, hey, this is all you got, man. 20, this is it. Chips are in the middle of the table. So it's not ideal for anybody, but I think the Mariners are in a position where they might not feel it quite as much in terms of on the field, the wins and the losses as some other teams who went into this year really hoping to play deep into October. I was actually going to ask about that. So say that there is no minor league and that you get those kind of expanded rosters. Uh, Are there any prospects you would expect to see a little earlier, maybe a Jared Kelnick or someone else that comes to mind? I think when it comes to seeing him at the major league level, I'm not sure that this year changes the timeline on any of those players. The, you bring up Kelnick, for example, or or Julio Rodriguez. You know, these are just two babies that have you know, barely barely been in pro ball. And when you think about it from the grand landscape of Mariners history, I mean, these two guys. So forget that you only had one, but we've got the Mariners have two of them. 
I mean, they're probably, I don't think I'm overstating it, they're the best position prospects the Mariners have had since A-Rod. I mean, this is, if you're talking about not, not Felix, not pitchers, but just strictly position players. So these are, these are two young men, for example, that you want to really make sure you do it right and not do it wrong. And I think Jerry has shown a real propensity in, in leaning that way and doing everything he can to not rush guys. So with that being said, does this, if they play, let's say 60 games, does that mean we're going to see one of these guys this year when we probably would not have, considering that neither one has, I mean, Kalnick has seen double-A pitching for just a few weeks. Uh, Julio ended in high A, so uh, combined, they barely have any double-A at-bats. I don't necessarily think so. I wouldn't 100% rule it out. But what I think would probably happen is every team will have a taxi squad, which is basically your reserve set of players that you can call on. That that number is unclear right now from what I can gather as to exactly how many players would be on the taxi squad. But this much I think is certain is that it's going to be enough that you can have essentially inner squad games with your taxi squad because that's how they will they only will play against one another so they they have to be able to do that so you're gonna have to have some form of numbers call it in the 20s or so uh and so i would imagine that the mariners would have a a pretty good uh, handful of prospects maybe in the neighborhood of 8 to 12 or so guys like Two that we've already mentioned, maybe somebody like Logan Gilbert as well um, from the pitching side. Your, your real top prospects that you don't want to lose a, a season of development on, you would have them on the taxi squad, and they could theoretically play the whole season, what there is of a season. They could play the whole season on the taxi squad, and we never see them uh, in Seattle uh, on TV or hear them on the radio, but but they are playing and they are getting reps and if there was a need, yes, they, they could come up. But more importantly, they are getting reps and playing every day. That was Aaron Goldsmith on with Tom, Jake, and Stacy, And that full interview available online for you. Also available, Ryan Divish of the Seattle Times joining 710 yesterday to talk about the relationship between the players and the MLB uh, and, and MLB owners right now. And says he believes that relationship is not salvageable. Oh, it's unsalvageable. Completely unsalvageable especially with the parties involved, Tony Clark and the uh, players union, that's just not going to happen. And the owners don't like him. And then Manfred has is, is really alienated a lot of players in a lot of regards. And technically he's not negotiating for the owners, but he's kind of their main liaison. And I just don't think it's fixable. I think that so much has happened over the last four or five years, um, you know, allegations of collusion amongst the owners, uh, service time manipulation, all this stuff. I think it's broken, and I don't know that we won't have, even if there is a baseball season this year and there is a baseball season next year, after the 2021 season, I fully expect a work stoppage. I mean, I expected one before this, but I, I expect one almost certainly now. And uh, that full interview is available as well on the podcast uh, tab of the 710sports.com page. Up next, it's time for the hot list. Yesterday, a really emotional moment, an incredible display of solidarity for Bubba Wallace, NASCAR's only African-American full-time driver. Uh, I'll explain the details of that and hear from some of his some of his peers, which was really cool. It's next in the hot list right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to The Blitz.
From the Alaska Airlines Studio, it's time for The Hot List. Holy mackerel! The headlines for the day in sports every morning at 6.45. Heck yes! What are we missing here? A full breakdown of the top stories of today on your morning drive. Let's go! One day after a noose was found in Bubba Wallace's garage stall, NASCAR's only African-American full-time driver joined by all 39 other drivers and their crews in an incredible march down pit road as they pushed his number 43 to the front of the line. And that was moments before a race Monday night at Talladega Speedway in Lincoln, Alabama. When the group reached the front of the line, Wallace climbing out of his car and shedding a few tears, emotional in that moment because of everything he's been through. Wallace ended up finishing 14th place in the race, but uh, went to the fence, was greeted by a horde of NASCAR fans, many of whom wearing Black Lives Matter, I Can't Breathe t-shirts supporting him. He apologized for not wearing his mandatory mask, but said he didn't want to put it on because, quote, I wanted to show whoever it was, you are not going to take away my smile in reference to whoever left that noose in his stall. He also said in a statement, quote, the sport is changing. The pre-race deal was probably one of the hardest things I've ever had to witness in my life from all the supporters, from drivers to crew members, everybody here, the fan base. Thank you guys for coming out. This is truly incredible. And I'm glad to be a part of this sport. Ryan Blaney, who ended up winning Monday's race in a photo finish, said Wallace has been one of his best friends for 15 years, and he called the pre-race show a support, uh, a special moment. And that idea for that gesture actually coming up Monday, Jimmy Johnson said in a driver's chat that he would stand with Wallace during the national anthem. Uh, then another driver sharing the idea that they should push Wallace's car to the front, and really uh, his peers coming up with this idea because they wanted to show support. Ryan Blaney, the eventual winner and one of Baba Wallace's friends on why they decided to show solidarity, why they're tired of what's going on. You know, it shows how strong Bubba is to be able to, you know, you're hurt and really saddened by it. And, I'm, you know, I'm sure he's still hurt by it. But to then to come together, all of us, and then be strong, I thought that that's how you got to deal with that stuff. You know, if you let it really eat away at you, that person wins, you know, that those people win. So I, I think it's it's great that everyone rose up, Bubba included, and, and you know, really came together. You know, I don't, I don't want it to be remember it as a, a terrible day or a, a bad day in NASCAR. You know, I want it to be remembered as there was an incident and we all overcame it together and, uh, you know, showed that we we're not going to take it anymore, man. I'm, I'm getting sick of this and uh, it's not something that he should deal with. Two weeks ago, Wallace successfully uh, lobbied and pushed for NASCAR to ban the Confederate flag at its venues, though the sanctioning body has not outlined how it will actually enforce that restriction, but uh, it has supported it. Disgruntled fans, with Confederate flags driving past the main entrance to the Alabama track prior to Sunday's race. There was also a plane that flew above the track pulling a banner of the flag that read, quote, defund NASCAR. Hours after the race was postponed by rain, NASCAR said the noose had been found. And NASCAR President Steve Phelps uh, vowing to do everything possible to find out who was responsible and eliminate them from the sport. Uh, He said they definitely, once they find them, will be banned for life. Here was Steve Phelps. Unequivocally, Liz, they will be banned from this sport for life. There is no room for this at all, and we won't tolerate it, uh, and they won't be here. Uh, I don't care who they are, they will not be here. Um, I had the opportunity to speak with with the King this morning. He, uh, he and I met in person, and, um, you know, he is, uh, you know, 
he has resolved in, in his team to, to figure out how we uh, work together to, to get this solved and, and figure out who uh, the person is that who did this act. Steve Phelps saying they would not get into specifics on what NASCAR video captured, but that they are working with the FBI and uh, to find out the culprit. And they will look into the access list because remember, because of COVID-19 concerns, the access list is pretty short. Yeah, you know, Jenna, as as you are aware, we have a very small number of people that are in the footprint, only essential personnel who is there. Um, obviously, we'll review the entire list with the FBI about who had access at that particular time. Uh, we also use something called compartmentalization. We'll look at who had, um, you know, who was in that particular area, um, and we'll be able to narrow that down. But again, getting into the specifics about what the FBI is going to do, working with our security people, it's it's you know kind of too early to determine, and um, I, I don't have access to that information at this point. Wallace said in a statement Sunday that he was incredibly saddened by that act. And I appreciated uh, hearing from Bomani Jones yesterday. I think he was on Highly Questionable talking about uh, this situation. This is the thing that gets me about this whole situation, though, and this is why I think it is important. NASCAR, by taking the Confederate flag out and trying to get that away from the racetrack, is basically trying to say, hey, man, our fans aren't a bunch of racists. We are not a racist organization. And a whole bunch of people have looked back and said... What you mean we? Before the race, you had people surrounding the stadium rolling around with big old Confederate flags. You had somebody fly over Talladega with a banner that said defund NASCAR. NASCAR is trying to say that we're not racist. The racists are trying to say that NASCAR belongs to us, right? So regardless of whatever NASCAR claims is is where they're coming from, those people are speaking and those people have been coddled for years. Those people were coddled by the fact that you didn't really do anything about the Confederate flag when you had an opportunity to do so. Those people were coddled when Richard Petty, who will show up to put his arm around his driver, Bubba Wallace, in this time, said in 2017 that the people who wanted to kneel should go find another country to live in. This is in the air because they ain't do anything to get rid of it, right? They've had opportunities, they've been in positions, and they decided time and time again that the feelings and the interests of racists meant more than decency now this is coming to catch up with them so i can appreciate the effort that they are trying to make right now but they are here because for a long time they told these people you have a safe haven here and now those folks want to keep it nascar got to own that fact it can't just be we're moving on you've got to look at what you have done and how you got to this place and then own it. And Richard Petty, when he comes out and is going to do the glad hand move and show everybody that he's there, it would help if he did a little bit of the same thing. Sarah Spain, host of Spain & Co., also uh, commenting yesterday and saying it's as important uh, for NASCAR to condemn racist fans as it is to support Bubba in this moment. They are doing the right thing at the highest levels in terms of banning the Confederate flag, speaking out on behalf of of Bubba Wallace. We saw at the beginning of the race today that the entire mass of racers and their teams pushed his car up the speedway to get ready for the race, embraced him one by one. He was crying. But it's as important for those people to stand by Bubba as it is for them to condemn the actions and words of others. And that's where the sticking point is for NASCAR. Not only are you willing to step into a space you should have been years ago, by condemning the Confederate flag, by speaking out for black racers and black people in general. But also, when you step into that space, are you willing to say that people who don't believe that are not welcome anymore? 
Premier League club Burnley has condemned a plane towing a banner declaring, quote, White Lives Matter Burnley that flew over Manchester City's uh, stadium before Monday's match between the two clubs. A Burnley football club, this is the statement from them, said, quote, strongly condemns the actions of those responsible for the aircraft and offensive banner that flew over the stadium on Monday evening. We wish to make it clear that those responsible are not welcome at Turf Moor. This in no way represents what Burnley Football Club stands for, and we will work fully with the authorities to identify those responsible and issue lifetime bans. The plane appeared shortly after players from both teams took a knee in support of the Black Lives Matter movement. Pretty powerful movement. There is no indication of who organized uh, the plane and banner. As for the NBA's return, we've talked a lot about baseball today, but uh, how many players will opt out? We've already seen that some might opt out uh, for family concerns, health and safety concerns. Adrian Wojnarowski, ESPN NBA insider, on talking about uh, most players probably going to play, some will not. Overwhelmingly, teams, agents, players themselves, the Players Association, you know, expect to have most all the league's players returning. Uh, but there are going to be players who stay home, and for a variety of reasons. And you just listed several of them. Here's one more, Greeny. Uh, you know, long-term contract extension uh, candidates and players who are on the cusp of um, extensions or free agency this summer. I think some of the defections you see over the next few days or maybe in the next week, you know, they'll be along those lines too financially. There's also the college environment where now a lot of concerns are kicking up because a lot of positive tests have been happening. College players uh, returning to schools, whether it's for voluntary workouts um, and or, or programs themselves. But Paul Feinbaum of the SEC Network uh, on Get Up yesterday talking about parents wondering what the schools are going to do to protect the players. The parents are starting to call coaches around the country and say, how are you going to keep my son safe. Uh, I know of at least one school where the head coach had to have a Zoom meeting, Greeny, with his team to try to calm everyone down because it's getting rather chaotic. And Laura's right. Uh, there are there are several double-digit cases that I have heard of uh, at major places that, that we are not being told about. And I, I think it's a situation where college football, if they don't get control of it now, they may lose control of it. And remember one important thing. These are voluntary workouts, and there are no students on campus. What's going to happen if students start pouring onto campuses? And that's a problem that presidents are facing all across the country this morning. Novak Djokovic said he has tested positive for the coronavirus. Uh, the news comes after three players tested positive for COVID-19 after participating in his tour of exhibition matches. The top-ranked player in the world, the 33-year-old, previously said he was against taking a vaccine for the virus, even if it became mandatory to travel. We will have baseball in 2020. Major League Baseball owners voted unanimously to proceed with the 2020 MLB season under the terms of uh, the March 26th agreement with the Players Association, the league said in a statement Monday night. This comes hours after the players rejected a 60-game proposal that would have included an expanded postseason and some ancillary salary bumps. By rejecting that, though, players retain the right to file a grievance. 
Jeff Passan on the MLBPA's decision uh, to reject the owner's proposal that there may have been a couple of players uh, that thought differently. Well, Michael, the expectation was that it was going to be lopsided, but there were some players who were trying to argue among their brethren this afternoon, hey, maybe we should take this. Maybe the fact that we're going down the path where a grievance is the likely outcome is not what's best for us going forward. But the momentum was behind rejecting this proposal and prompting Rob Manfred in all likelihood to implement a season of his desired length. Now, that might be 54 games. That might be even 60 games. But what the players don't get and what the league doesn't get is expanded playoffs in if there is an implementation, the playoffs would be 10 teams like they were last year, as opposed to the 16 teams that the league was proposing. It only took three months and likely some uh, reparable damage to the sport, at least in the next five to 10 years with CBA negotiations looming on the horizon. The league will try to get in as many games as possible before their cutoff date, their self-imposed cutoff date of September 27th. That's due to uh, concerns for COVID-19, also concerns of their television partners not wanting to run too late into the season, not wanting to run up against a lot of competing interests like those in the election. Uh, while the deal still has some hurdles to clear before spring training 2.0, it still is a huge step. One of those hurdles, though, is getting players to sign off on a health and safety protocol before the league can start. Uh, just some quick facts about what we know so far. The number of games likely to be around that 60-game marker opening day around July 24th. So you can mark that on your calendar. Uh, spring training, hoping for July 1st. MLB has asked uh, the Players Association whether players will be able to report to training in their respective cities within seven days by July 1st. Uh, but this creates some concerns because you've got some teams in states where COVID-19 cases are on the rise, where spring training facilities have been shut down, including Arizona and Florida. And then you've also got the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, we still need clarification on where they're at because uh, as of now, the Canadian Prime Minister announced the border shutdown between the U.S. and Canada would be extended to July 21st. And there's no guarantee it won't be extended beyond that date. So they're facing a couple of hurdles as well. What we do know is that baseball will be back and uh, they'll be dealing with some PR for the next couple of years. Because Jeff Passan saying it's just a black eye for baseball. It took three months to get to the spot. They recognize deep down the priority should have been getting baseball back on the field. Let's remember the initial proposal from Major League Baseball had a target date for games being played of around July 1st. Well, we're almost at July 1st right now, and they're not even going to be back at spring training at this point. So the fact that they've gone this far, the fact that there has been this much animus, it's just a black eye for baseball. And the problem is it's only going to get worse right now, whether it's with grievances, with players sitting out a potential season. There are so many more layers to this going the wrong way and the only hope is before rob manford decides to implement they can come to some kind of an agreement it just doesn't seem very likely at this point that's a wrap for the hot list in the entire blitz at six hour danny and gallant coming to you next right here on 710 espn seattle